DuPage Medical Group reports a data breach. Patients' names, addresses, dates of birth, diagnoses, and some social security numbers may have been exposed. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Marathi about new restaurants that opened over the summer despite supply chain issues, labor shortages, and ongoing logistics related to the pandemic. They were basically telling me that they have run into a lot of these issues, um, such as sky-high food prices. There's shortages of things, and that is seemingly everything. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, September 1st. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. So opening a restaurant was no small task this summer as operators dealt with supply shortages and a tight labor market and soaring prices and, you know, the pandemic. So joining me now is Cranes reporter Ali Moradi to talk about a handful of restaurants that opened over the summer despite all of those things. Ali, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So talk to me about restaurants because the idea of opening a restaurant right now seems so very daunting for all of the reasons I just named, you know, with still so much uncertainty ahead of us. What kind of numbers are we looking at in terms of how many opened over the summer? So 76 restaurants have opened in Chicago since May 1st, which sounds like a lot, but that's actually down from 182 during the same period in 2019. So as you can see, that's slashed. I was asking some of these restaurants that I talked to for the story, is this the hardest time, you know, that restaurants have ever had? And they said that it's certainly the most complex time, which I found kind of interesting. There's just all these headwinds they're up against. And, you know, as you and I have talked about before, and I've reported on throughout the course of the pandemic, it's always been hard to open a restaurant. Restaurant operators have a higher risk tolerance than most people to begin with. So many of them fail in healthy economic times. So to do it now, it's, you know, extremely gutsy. Yeah, you got to really mean it to open a restaurant right now, I feel like. You do. So you took a look at, at a few of them that had opened during the summer. And what did you find as you started to look at them? Any commonalities of the, the 10 or so that you talked with? They were basically telling me that they have run into a lot of these issues, um, such as sky high food prices. There's shortages of things. And that is seemingly everything. I'm talking to these people that are telling me they have forks on back order for four weeks carts to like carve up whole fish table side, everything from stainless steel that they need to like put in the bottom of their freezer unit to decorations for their new restaurant. Um, And it's hard because usually restaurants often go into spaces where old restaurants were because it's already outfitted for that. But then they do do some sort of renovation. You know, for example, I spoke with Avli on the Park, which is a Greek restaurant that opened in the old Three Forks Steakhouse space. And they kind of transformed it from being, you know, kind of a lower light steakhouse setting to this huge light filled kind of Greek sort of style. And that took a lot of renovation and a lot of stuff that they couldn't find. It kept getting pushed back the staff shortages, which has been kind of an ongoing issue since things started reopening in the spring. That has kept a lot of these even brand new restaurants operating at restricted hours or only opening part of their restaurant. 
and I talked to this restaurant called Chicatana in the Fulton Market District, which is named for the Chicatana flying ant. They were telling me that they ordered some handmade lamps from Tunisia that kept getting delayed and delayed. And then finally, they got them two days before the restaurant was ready to open. They were all excited and they opened them up and it was the wrong lamp. Oh, no. And obviously, there's no going back from that, you know. So they called in friends and family who brought in sewing machines to like re-sew lampshades. So it's just like them having to get creative and almost like bootstrapping some of these openings themselves. Yeah. I mean, when we think about supply shortages, I'm thinking more about the food itself. You know, you and I have talked about chicken in particular quite a bit. I, I hadn't even thought about... I mean, things like forks, very important to opening a restaurant. You need the forks, but you know, the decor and all that other stuff, that's a whole other nightmare. Yeah. And the the food is still an issue too. You know, again, um, with Avley on the park that I was speaking with, they were telling me that I think they've been open since mid-May and they've already had to raise their menu prices once. And it's something that they're constantly, you know, they're losing money on some dishes because maybe the lobster they normally get isn't available. So they have to substitute it, like that sort of thing. It's just like, you know... I mean, I think a lot of consumers, after going out to eat throughout the course of the summer, they're used to some higher menu prices, but it's interesting that they still continue to fluctuate. And a lot of the restaurant operators are telling me that they don't really see an end in sight to these sort of issues that they're up against. So what other restaurants did you take a look at who had recently opened? So one of them is Bar David, um, which was interesting. It's at the University of Chicago in a new building that they built last year. The chef used to work at Everest, which is pretty well known, and it's modern Mediterranean food. Um, So that is one that's sort of interesting when you go into the building, keep an eye out for modern art that's in there on loan from hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin. Um, So it's kind of these fun little things. The guy who was the opening chef de cuisine of Acheval, which is a really well-known burger joint, he just opened a new restaurant in diversity called En Passant, which is named after a chess move. He told me he was a bit of a chess nerd. That place is BYOB for now because they're still waiting on their liquor license. So there's kind of another example of how these restaurants are just opening in ways that they can. Esme is another one, and that is from um, a husband and wife team. And the husband used to work at Michelin starred next and they're doing fine dining, but they're working in some art and philanthropy. Basically they'll have collaboration dinners with artists with a portion of the proceeds going to their projects or causes. There's another place up in Logan square called Lardone, which is named after kind of that little fried piece of pork that you often run into. And, you know, the the owner was telling me we wanted to name it after a piece of meat, but didn't want to just call it bacon. So they went with Lardon. But that's interesting. They they cure all their own kind of meats in-house there. They have a curing room and it's a little bit different because a lot of those sort of like salumerias or charcuterias, they they will make that sort of food and then sell it wholesale. But they're doing it all on site there, which is interesting. Lure Fish Bar, which is on Rush Street, kind of in that same building as the 21C Museum Hotel. That was an interesting one. You know, they had set to open kind of early on in the pandemic, but pushed it back and The owner was telling me that he didn't want to do a grand opening during the pandemic because you don't get a second shot at a grand opening. And if you don't open with some sort of fanfare, people won't remember you. They won't remember, oh, it was the pandemic, but they will remember, you know, they will just, just nobody will know about you. So I thought that was sort of interesting. There's one called The Exchange down on South Michigan Avenue. It's in uh, Daniel Burnham's Railway Exchange Building, which is the one on Michigan with the Motorola sign. They eventually are going to have this big, beautiful um, dining area called the Atrium that will open up, but they haven't opened it yet because of staffing issues. So they have kind of like a little side cafe 
40 seat dining room that has opened. So again, just another example of these restaurants really doing what they can to get up and running in the ways that they know how. I mean, that's interesting, the point about having a restaurant opening. I think that initial buzz is such a big deal for restaurants of how they open and how they position themselves and kind of what the word on the street is about that place. Did any of the restaurants that you talked to other than that one mention kind of issues with marketing or maybe a different approach to how they promote their restaurant, given all the things against them right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Basically, the whole restaurant opening party has gone by the wayside in a lot of cases. You know, they'll still do friends and family kind of soft openings to give their waiters and waitresses and servers practice. But you don't see these big opening parties happening anymore. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if it comes back at all next year or if, you know, restaurants just kind of permanently move away from that. On the bright side, I've been told it does really take the pressure off. You know, you have more of a soft opening. You don't have to suddenly have like, I don't know, hundreds of people coming through your doors with a staff that's never worked together, working out all the kinks with this huge crowd, you know, as your audience. It's sort of like have a few people, you know, book as you can throughout the first week, get everybody acclimated and just calm down. And, you know, this sort of plays into the whole broader issue going on with this, you know, tight labor market, but also some of the mental health issues that are really being talked a lot more about in the restaurant industry as everyone sort of reckons with, do I want to go back to the restaurant industry that I lost my job at early on in the pandemic? Or do I want to go to something that's going to pay more and not be as stressful? And and I wonder also if in talking with these restaurant operators, did anybody talk about vaccination requirements and maybe extra labor needed to to maybe verify vaccine status and things like that? Yeah, another great question. I didn't specifically talk to anybody about that for this story, but I have um, been talking to people about it, you know, just throughout the past few weeks. And it's something that you're seeing a mixed bag with, you know, some restaurant operators think it's definitely worth it to just have that extra person at the door checking, or to just take the time to train the person who's already checking IDs to also check for vaccine cards. A big part of that is communication too with your consumers, making sure that they aren't blindsided when they get there and they do know that. And actually, you know, that is something that I did talk about with a few of these people because they're having to decide that from the get-go, right? Like, where do we want to stake our claim? Where do we want to place our flag with this? Do we want to go ahead and immediately have a vaccine requirement? Do we want to, like, obviously a mask mandate, you know, is required now now in Chicago. But yeah, it's something that they were just saying to me, we have to make sure that we're very clear from the beginning that this is what we offer so that we don't have somebody that comes here for the first time and sort of gets turned off because they're not aware of the requirements. A lot of considerations for restaurant operators right now, indeed. Well, thanks so much, Allie. Appreciate you taking the time to talk through these places. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming up, Deerfield-based Walgreens plans to raise starting worker pay to $15 an hour. We'll talk about that and more right after this. When change is constant, stability matters. That's the promise of forever ownership. Irvine Company's unwavering commitment to providing dynamic workplace communities to meet your evolving business needs. From Class A-plus trophy buildings with marquee addresses to energizing amenities, Irvine Company's dedication to your success lasts a lifetime, now and forever. Start exploring at irvinecompanyoffice.com slash gist. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. 
DuPage Medical Group said in a statement that they're notifying more than 600,000 patients whose information may have been compromised in a recent breach. The company, which is the largest independent physicians group in Illinois, said in a statement that through an investigation, they determined that a July network outage was caused by unauthorized persons gaining access to its network. Patient information that may have been compromised includes names, addresses, dates of birth, and diagnoses, according to the statement. Financial account numbers were not included, but social security numbers for a small subset of individuals may have been included. DuPage Medical says it's offering free credit monitoring and identity theft protection to those potentially affected by the incident. Separately, Northwestern Memorial Healthcare reported a breach involving more than 200,000 patients in June. The healthcare system recently notified patients about the breach involving cloud-based platform Electa. In a statement last week, Northwestern said that an unauthorized individual had gained access to the third-party system in April and got a copy of its database. The statement said the information may have included patient names, dates of birth, social security numbers, clinical information related to cancer treatment, as well as other information. Financial account and payment card information wasn't involved, but the hospital system says it's also offering access to free credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. A surge in cyber attacks on healthcare organizations earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic prompted the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the FBI, and the Department of Health and Human Services last October to issue a warning of an increased cybercrime threat to U.S. hospitals and healthcare providers. Plane manufacturer Airbus has secured an order for 36 single-aisle planes from UK leisure carrier Jet2, grabbing up a Boeing customer with steep discounts as it seeks to regain sales momentum. The A321neo jets, scheduled for delivery over five years through 2028, are valued at $4.9 billion before what was described as significant discounts. That according to a statement from Jet2. The number of planes on order, though, could rise to 60, bringing the face value of the deal to about $8.1 billion. For Airbus, the move marks a rare steal from rival Chicago-based Boeing, which has previously supplied Jet2 with its 737 model. And the Jet2 deal builds on a follow-on order from Delta Airlines last week for 30 A321s. Through July, Boeing has dominated the 2021 order race with its rejuvenated 737 MAX, gathering net sales of 270 planes across all models. However, Jet2 cited lower fuel consumption, comfort, and efficiency in choosing the A321, which is a larger variant of the top-selling A320 narrow-body aircraft. Kirkland & Ellis has signed one of the biggest downtown office leases in years at the 60-story Salesforce Tower under construction at Wolf Point where it will move from its current office just a little over a block east. The firm announced the move this week, confirming Crane's reporting earlier this summer that a deal was being finalized. The firm didn't disclose the size of the new lease, but sources familiar with the firm's plans who spoke with Crane's said it was aiming to secure close to 600,000 square feet. Kirkland's move also stands out as a sizable commitment to in-person office work after many companies have adjusted to life with remote workers during the pandemic and reevaluated their workspace needs as a result. Deerfield-based Walgreens Boots Alliance will increase the starting wage for its U.S. workers to $15 an hour, starting gradually increasing pay in October and with the expectation to fully implement the new rate in its nearly 9,000 drugstores across the U.S. by November 2022. Walgreens CEO Rosalind Brewer said in a statement that rewarding workers is, quote, highly important to retaining and attracting a talented workforce. 
Walgreens follows U.S. retailers, including Target, Best Buy, and Amazon, which have all increased wages in recent years in order to stand out in a competitive job market. Walgreens' main competitor, CVS Health, earlier this summer announced that it would boost starting pay to $15 an hour by July 2022. The wage increase will cost Walgreens about $450 million over the next three years. Walgreens expects to partially absorb the expense through the normal course of business. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Special thanks to my guest today, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. You can follow our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist, which is the best way to help others discover our episodes. You'll also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.